This is the Impunity Observer podcast. Fergus Hodgson, your host. Thank you for tuning in. If you'd like our archives, please go to impunityobserver.com forward slash podcast. We have Ryan Berg today. He is with the Center for Strategic and International Studies. He's a senior fellow with them. And we will be exploring a topic that we've been writing about. We've done a previous podcast on, but it is crucial. And he's added to this discussion. It is the Zetas or Special Economic Zones in Honduras. I think the actual Spanish translates to zones for economic development and employment, something like that. And so, yeah, he's a senior fellow with the Americas program and the head of the Future of Venezuela Initiative at CSIS. Now, Ryan, this topic maybe is a little bit outside your wheelhouse. Why did you take the time to prepare this article, which is titled The Geopolitics of Honduras' Special Economic Zones? It's a lengthy piece. So, why did you devote your time to this? Why did you give it your your attention? Well, thanks for having me on. I, I think that the, the topic is uh, pretty soundly in the wheelhouse of the CSIS Americas program, because one of the pillars of our program is, of course, uh, bringing greater economic development and prosperity to the region. And we've had a project now for a while looking at special economic zones of all types across the region. That is only being one specific type, a very specific type that, of course, devolves quite a bit of autonomy down to, to the local level in, in Honduras. But we're, we've been looking at special economic zones of, of all types across the region as potential hubs for bringing more Western-oriented uh, capital into the region, greater investment flows, nearshoring, getting to the root causes of migration, all of the ways in which SEZs actually intersect with, uh, with the development agenda uh, in the Americas. And that's sort of very much in, in the wheelhouse of CSIS Americas. This piece in particular uh, looks at the Zedes from a geopolitical perspective because we think that there's a very interesting argument to be made for how Zedes and how SEZs more broadly can be used to uh, further bilateral relations and economic development agenda in the Americas, and in particular, uh, to ward off uh, what I would consider to be corrosive Chinese influence in Central America and some of the countries that are the, the sort of last uh, to recognize uh, Taiwan in, in the region where there's a really intense Chinese focus on tethering those countries more closely to the PRC and eventually getting them to flip uh, diplomatic recognition. And so I think SEZs and ZAs play into that, that entire geopolitical agenda. Yeah, that was that's the unique angle you brought with this article that I, I mean, I've been following the ZAs since 2013, since the beginning, basically, and I never really thought of it as a geopolitical lever, perhaps. Why is it such a lever? And why can other regimes not use it? So why can't the Chinese use it as to their favor also? Well, the Chinese are bringing their version of special economic zones to Central America. And one of the things we do in the piece, which was co-authored by a senior associate at CSIS named Evan Ellis, Evan and I write that the, the Chinese, for example, in El Salvador are bringing their own version of, of SEZs to the region. It basically means carving out a significant chunk of territory, making it uh, a, a special zone for, for China and making it more or less exclusive for Chinese state-owned enterprises to operate within that zone, which of course brings quite a bit of benefit for current ruling elites, but it's questionable how much benefit it brings to countries in the long run. And so using El Salvador as sort of a cautionary tale, we look at SEZs and at ZEDES as a potential response to this trend in the region and say, 
uh, hey, there's something here in the sense that ZACE and, and SEZs done the right way are about rule of law, they're about transparency, they're about bringing higher standards uh, for uh, development and, uh, and international investment than a lot of these Chinese-led zones. And so insofar as you can use these as uh, zones that can catalyze or accelerate Western-oriented capital flows into Central America, uh, we think you can ward off some of the some of the more predatory financial flows that might be coming out of the PRC and some of the desire, uh, perhaps on the part of ruling elites in certain countries in the region, to uh, to go with the PRC as a uh, as a uh, to go with their model of the of the SEZ, uh, which features exclusively the the state owned Chinese enterprises uh, coming in and, and building flashy infrastructure projects. But of course, all, all of the negative aspects we know well, the, the, the elite capture, the corruption, the lack of transparency, et cetera. Do you want to comment on why the Zetas have just, let's say, struggled to gain popularity among the political classes in Honduras, and especially the new president, Suamara Castro, who is, I think she came in in January, I'm not sure the exact date, but there's some tension there, right? And uh, why do you think they have used such, let's say, harsh rhetoric against the Zetas when, as you say, it seems, at least on, on face, such a wonderful opportunity to bring in foreign capital for Honduras? Well, I think that there's a, a, a strong political argument that the Castro administration is, is making. Um, if you look at the previous administration of Juan Orlando Hernandez, uh, it was an administration that was fraught with corruption. It was a difficult relationship with the United States. It's understandable why many Hondurans wanted to make a political change after two terms of the so-called JOH administration. And this was one of the, really one of the signature accomplishments of that administration. And so from a political perspective, I think the Castro administration is very intent on reversing what they consider to be one of the signature pieces of legislation that was passed under, under the previous administration. The problem with that is it threatens to undermine some of the contractual and legal guarantees that were made to international investors under the prior administration. So irrespective of what you think about JOH, his involvement in corruption and potential drug trafficking, of course, we all know he was extradited to the United States on charges. His brother has already been convicted on similar charges in a U.S. court. Um, that says nothing about the fact that current investors in these zones should be entitled to the, the legal rights that they were entitled to when they made the initial investment. And so the uphill battle that the administration in Honduras faced is, is if they decide to um, go head on with, with the Zetas and go for a full repeal and rescindment of the rescinding of, of the constitutional guarantees that these zones had, they're going to have quite a legal mess on their hands with, of course, investors capable of, of uh, investor dispute settlement mechanisms, certain mechanisms within CAFTA-DR and other international legal frameworks that exist. And so there's the political side of this, and then there's the legal side of this. And I think the political side, the administration thinks it's a win. The legal side is pretty messy when you look at the landscape. Yeah, that, that is one of the problems that this policy or the, the Zetas program has become so closely associated with Juan Orlando Hernandez. So naturally, as you said, whether it's a good or bad policy, people don't want to be associated with him. 
Now, let's let's say someone reads this and says, this is just, you know, I agree with you, you know, Ryan, you're, you're on to it. What can U.S. policymakers do to, let's say, support or incentivize perpetuation of the Zetas? Well, my, my impression of the Biden administration is that they don't want to get too involved uh, in Zetas. And so, uh, and in this, uh, what they probably see as a domestic issue. Moreover, I think that they have a broader concern for the U.S. Hunter and bilateral relationship. But I do think it's important, however the administration frames it, and they probably won't frame it as Zeta-centric, to reiterate that um, the contractual obligations that currently exist, the international legal protections that should exist, ought to be uh, honored in, in this case, and that uh, there could be a deterrence effect here if there is, uh, if, if it is seen that there is a uh, an emerging amount of uncertainty for the uh, around the, the legality of investments in Central America and in Honduras specifically, it could certainly deter future investment, future nearshoring opportunities, future opportunities to bring investment to the country as part of getting at the root causes of migration. Again, there are so many ways in which this intersects with uh, the agenda of administrations in the U.S on both sides of the aisle, that I think it is important for the US to make pronouncements, even if they're more general, about the sanctity of, of some of the legal agreements surrounding these investments, because uh, we don't want this to have knock-on effects and later deterrent effects um, on future investment flows and future opportunities to extricate supply chains from China, for example, and relocate them to the Americas. So the challenge, the, the, the carrot of the Z is, is this international investment, better governance, right? But I don't, as you're saying, you don't really want to have to use the stick, which is some sort of legal wrangling. Do you want to clarify what exactly that stick or what that, that disincentive to abandoning it would be? Sure. Uh, caveat here is that I'm not a, a lawyer, um, but uh, you know that there are various layers of legal protections that investments have here. The, the first um, is, is a set of, is the, the constitutional amendment itself, right? This was an amendment to the constitution in Honduras. It passed a Supreme Court uh, muster when a case was brought against it. And so there, there's the domestic uh, legal protections that these investments are, are supposed to be given. There's also the fact that they were made within the CAFTA-DR framework, the Central America Free Trade Agreement, Dominican Republic. Uh, and so there, there are certain legal protections there, and there, in, there are investor uh, dispute settlement mechanisms that are inherent to that agreement that the uh, the ZEs and the ZA operators could uh, avail themselves of. Uh, and then there are also other international investment treaties that um, that the the country of Honduras has signed in the meantime, which are supposed to give extra legal protections to the ZEs. I believe one of them is a, is an agreement that was signed. Uh, with uh, with Kuwait, which was supposed to have a um, a, a timeline of about fifty years, um, and so that there there are quite a few different legal mechanisms here that investors can uh, uh, which investors can avail themselves if they want to go down that route. I think, however, they would much prefer to resolve this with the administration before it gets to the messy legal battle and before the need for litigation. Yeah, that's that's the problem that it would be a big lose-lose. Let's say if the U.S. has to push Honduras out of the Central American Free Trade Agreement, 
yes, that might be a deterrence, but it would also just be, it would undermine that free trade agreement. So it would not really be in the U.S. interest either. What, what are the latest developments in terms of the, uh, um, the likelihood of more Zetas, or is, basi- is it basically just frozen in time right now? There's a great deal of limbo or, un- or uncertainty. Yeah, I think from the U.S. policy perspective, uh, kicking Honduras out of out of CAFTA DR is, is basically a non-starter and, and almost certainly not going to happen. Um, the only country we're currently discussing uh, uh, dis- suspending from CAFTA DR at, at this point in time is Nicaragua, and for much different reasons, of course, it's descended into a, a brutal dictatorship. But but with respect to to Honduras, I, I think that the the ZA project. Uh, is probably frozen at the moment, given the current domestic political restraints with the Castro administration and their efforts to uh, to repeal the, the ZEDES. And indeed, the, the bill that they passed through the legislature at the end of April, which, which did exactly that. Now, that doesn't mean that the ZEDES all of a sudden have disappeared. It doesn't mean that they don't have the right to operate. Uh, in order to make that full constitutional change, they would need to pass that bill again in the next session of Congress. But for now, I think seeing more ZEDES in Honduras is probably not going to happen. And I think most of the three ZEDES that currently exist in the country are uh, fighting for their right to continue to exist and to continue to operate uh, as they were before and bring greater investment flows to the country. Yeah. More more broadly speaking, then, are other countries looking at the ZEDES model and seeking to maybe continue it there, maybe elsewhere in Central America or the Caribbean? It's a good question. There are over 500 uh, special economic zones in Latin America and the Caribbean. So SEZs are not somehow new to the region. This has been going on for a long time. ZEDES, however, are very particular in that they 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 devolve a lot of local autonomy. They, they devolve a lot of autonomy down to the local level, and uh, we have seen and 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 um, observed similar types of arrangements in other countries uh, already. Uh, Panama, for example, has a zone called Panama Pacifico, which is very much like a, a ZEDE in terms of how much power it devolves down to the local level to build governance, to build institutions, to build uh, through private sector capital, housing, schools, security, uh, hospitals, and medical clinics. So this model, I think, has been tried in, in a few other areas, but in general, it's it's still fairly unique in terms of the amount of uh, control it, it devolves down to to the local level right okay and do you want to introduce people while we've got you a little bit to your venezuela uh was it venezuela future initiative so what you're you're doing we we've we've published a lot of work on colombia and venezuela too and i must admit that i my optimism is not great i've kind of almost struggled to keep following venezuela but what is the program you've got going on and what are the yeah you know, what are the latest developments that you're addressing? So I'm the director, in addition to my role as senior fellow um, in the Americas program at CSIS. I'm the director of our Future of Venezuela initiative, which looks at all facets of the uh, of the Venezuelan challenge to redemocratize the country and hopefully bring the country a bread, better, brighter future. So this is. Uh, trying to be as useful as we possibly can to whatever is going on in the country. For example, last year, when negotiations were going on between the opposition and the Maduro regime in in Mexico City, we wrote a couple of reports uh, looking at the history of negotiations, the over one dozen times that this has occurred before, uh, looking at the patterns that the regime usually uses 
in negotiations to further its own existence, to consolidate uh, its its hold on power, to divide the opposition, offering success, uh, offering uh, potentially useful avenues for greater success in, in negotiations. That's an example of the kind of work that we do to accompany um, the situation on the ground in, in Venezuela and provide policymakers with timely, important analysis on, on what's going on in Venezuela. Um, and, and so it's it's an up and down type of job because of course it's, uh, it's following the uh, trends and trajectory on the ground very closely. And, and obviously there have been a lot of ups and downs since 2019 and the formation of the, the interim government in Venezuela. Is there any, are there any shoots of hope here that we you can share with us as to what is going on in Venezuela that for those who've been, let's say, following Venezuela for the last 20 odd years, as it's really taken a, a down downward spiral, are there any little bits of optimism that are appearing now after all this time? Well, I think that uh, there are some small slivers of, of optimism. First is just the acknowledgement that no dictatorship lasts forever. And so at some point, there's going to be a, a, a crack, a significant enough schism within the ruling uh, Chavista elite that there will be opportunities even greater than the ones that existed in 2018, 19, and 2020 for the opposition to, to make uh, deeper or lasting change. The second is uh, the, the fact that the opposition still has international support, still has resources, um, and, and it still has the ability to organize itself in what we expect to be presidential elections in 2024. Now, that's a big if. It's a lot of, of sets of hypotheticals and questions, but there is an election on the horizon where uh, there could be change, there could be a credible alternative presented, and it's up to the opposition to organize themselves to have what they're calling um, internal primaries so that they actually select their candidate to face Maduro in a democratic manner, much different than what we'll see out of the regime itself. Um, but again, there are a lot of ifs um, and, and there, are, there are a lot of uh, things that could happen in the interim period of time that to frustrate the opposition's ability to, to move the needle on the ground in Venezuela. Right. Okay, folks, we've been listening to Ryan C. Berg. He was a senior fellow in the Americas program. And yeah, as he, as he just explained, the head of the Future of Venezuela Initiative. You can find his work at csis.org. He's also a visiting research fellow with Oxford, Oxford University and an adjunct uh, lecturer or professor with Catholic, the Catholic University of America. Thanks for your time, Ryan. I'm really glad you wrote this article and we'll share this too. The article is The Geopolitics of Honduras' Special Economic Zones. And if people have not already, already read this one, it gives an, a great context to what is going on and is at stake in the Zetas of Honduras. So thanks again. Thanks for the opportunity to come on. I appreciate it.